Hello friends, it's Jim Nance and it's my great pleasure to welcome you to Beyond the Clubhouse, a podcast hosted by my friend Garrett Johnston. He is a testament to one of the great things about this sport, the friendships that come from playing or even just talking about the game. And you're going to meet some of the characters that Garrett has gotten to know from this past decade plus that he's been covering the sport. You're going to hear from players, caddies, members of the media. You're going to get the storytelling, the golf news, the players' swing tips, and a whole lot of laughs. It's coming your way with this edition of Beyond the Clubhouse. Here's Garrett. All right, what's going on, guys? Got Scott McCarron on the podcast this week. Three-time PGA Tour winner. Had a lot of success so far. He's 58 now, but he's got 11 wins on the PGA Tour champions, over 50 tour. And he's really enjoying himself out there. And what's interesting is he has touched a lot of big-time players. He's gotten advice where he's gone on trips with Tiger Woods and Mark O'Mara. Back in the day, the British Open, they would go the week before. Uh, in Ireland, they would go fishing. I mean, this guy's had some amazing access to some big-time stars, and he's been pretty smart about using that time. Like, he's gotten a lot of advice from Jack Nicholas over the years. He shares a story about that. Hale Irwin, as well, when he got first got over on the PGA Tour Champions, talked with Hale uh, for a little bit. Took him out to dinner. So, like, hey, how do I figure this out? You've been the most successful player out here so far. Um, so he's really found a lot of people in his life. Uh, Greg Norman, as well. A lot of guys... That he's been able to spend some time with. So here is Scott McCarron on Beyond the Clubhouse. Hope you guys enjoy it. All right, I'm pleased to be joined by my next guest, Scott McCarron, who is a three-time winner on the PGA Tour, 11-time winner on the PGA Tour Champions. And we're right in the middle of the playoffs right now. Obviously coming off a good start in Richmond. And uh, Scott, what's going on today? How are you, man? I'm doing fine, Garrett. Yeah, it's uh, good to be with you. We have that Sacramento connection. Uh, always good to check in, uh, see how you're doing, and and uh, talk to you, and maybe tell some few stories. Definitely, we'll we'll get into a few stories. Well, and I think about the Sacramento connection for you growing up. What was the driving force that got you into the game? Like, what what was the thing that really got you started? You know, a couple things. One, my dad was a professional baseball player. He played uh, AAA for St. Louis Cardinals and Chicago Cubs. And when he stopped playing golf he, or stopped playing baseball, he started playing a lot of golf. So when I was born in Sacramento in 1965, um, you know, he started dragging me out to the drive range as soon as I could walk. <laughs> uh, and, and that's he really got me into golf. He loved golf. He, he played a lot of golf, uh, was a club champion at, at Silverado when I was a kid. He was a great athlete, great tennis player, great racquetball player. So he's the one that really kind of got me started into golf. Um, and then again, I, but I played all sports. I played football, baseball, basketball. But one thing I loved about golf, I didn't need anybody else. Um, you know, I didn't need nine guys to, you know, other, eight other guys to play baseball or football or basketball. I could go out there and practice by myself. And I, I enjoyed that aspect of it. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing about golf, I, I think about those times in Sacramento. So like, we're talking about all the city courses, right? You would have played, what, Bing Maloney, Ansel Hoffman, Ansel Hoffman those, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Played a bunch of those golf courses. Um, you know, I played amateur events and junior events and high school and a lot of tournaments on, on all those golf courses. So when was the last time now, here you are 58 years old on the PGA Tour Champions, last seven, eight years, but when was the last time you actually paid for a round of golf? You know, that's, that's a great question. It, it was actually at Bing Maloney, <laughs> where I think you worked. <laughs> yeah, I worked uh, as a starter, yeah. Yeah, I, I actually took a couple buddies out there. I was playing. I uh, just got on tour. Maybe I was like two or three years on tour and uh, took some buddies out there to play. And, and I paid for golf. You know, it's a public golf course and that's what you do. I always expect to play for golf. 
Um, but most uh, most of the people around the country are, are, have been very, very nice to me. Uh, and But Bing Maloney, I think, was the last time I actually paid for golf. Man. And it was worth worth every penny of it, Garrett. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's an interesting course. Like it, it looks good in uh, March and April when the you know when the flowers are up and the and the grass is growing well. But uh, you get there in the in the dead of of summer, it gets pretty baked out. Though I got to be honest, that's my baby, yeah. but I got to be honest with it. It does. It gets a little well. All those golf courses, it gets pretty hot there in Sacramento in the summer. So. Definitely. Um, well, you know, I was thinking you mentioned Silverado. And when I think about a, pl- a player, a person who's been a big presence there in Silverado is Johnny Miller over the years. And I know you spent some time with him in Silverado, but what kind of comes to mind with stories with Johnny Miller there in, in Napa? Well, Johnny was great. Um, when I was growing up in, in Napa in 1976, you know, Johnny was the man. I mean, he was the desert fox. He was winning all the time. Um, so we used to get to play and practice a little bit with Johnny used to hang out with Johnny a little bit. Um, Johnny was great. I remember I qualified for the U.S. Junior Amateur, um, which was in Fresno uh, one year, and Johnny came down and spoke and kind of ponied me out of the crowd and brought me up on stage, and I thought that was pretty cool, you know, to have Johnny Miller uh, trying to say hi to you and those type of things. But uh, Johnny was great, but we had a good crew uh, there. Jimmy Wickers, Rod Funseth. Ron Ceruto, Mark Lai for a little bit, but Jimmy Wickers, Ron Ceruto, and Rod Funsif, who all played the tour. And these are guys that uh, used to come over from my parents' house for dinner. Um, I played golf with them. I learned how to gamble with those guys. They would teach me how to hit bunk shots, um, how to hit punch out shots, you know, all these different areas of golf that they spent a lot of time with me because I was a pretty good junior player. And uh, I thought, you know, that was where I, when I was a kid, watching those guys play the tour. And then come home and tell the stories. I, that's when I thought, you know, this is what I want to do for my living. So at what age would that have been roughly? Yeah, that was, uh, well, I was probably 11, 12, 13 years old when, we, when I was playing golf a lot with those guys. And, and especially when I was 14, 15, 16, a lot. Um, you know, those guys, I, I had a chance to win uh, the Northern California match play. I just won the Junior Golf Association match play a couple weeks before and Jim, Jimmy Wickers came out and followed me in the last round and he had won the U.S. Amateur as a kid. So, those, you know, those guys were, were integral parts of my, you know, maturity and, and becoming a professional golfer. What's, as you talk about those amateur days there in Northern California, what, what's one of the more sentimental memories when you look back on or that you'd almost want to relive now when you think about uh, winning back then? Well, we had a lot of great moments. I mean, I, I got to play uh, on some of the teams, the North-South team matches, uh, and I got to play in the Hogan Cup matches up in Portland. Uh, I, I just remember being up in Portland for the Hogan Cup matches, and we won it with uh, some you know great golfers at the time, uh, uh, Mike Tingas, uh, Tim Lost a lot, um, Mike Blewett, Steven Sear. I mean, these kids were all great players growing up, all went on to play in college. And we had gone up there right after Mount St. Helens had blew her top. So uh, as the house we're staying at, we're staying in a little like uh, uh, mobile trailer park out in the back of this guy's yard. And there was ash everywhere and ash all over the golf course. And I just I remember that was a pretty surreal experience uh, going up there and winning those Hogan Cup matches. Yeah. Well, that's a lot uh, up, up up north to, to deal with there. Um, but it's interesting when I, when I look where you're, where you're at now, you mentioned those three or four names of guys that were really instrumental for you. You got a chance now to pay it forward at age 58, living in North Carolina. I think you're in Mooresville, and you've got a lot of young players that you get to kind of spend time with. What is that like kind of like coming full circle? Well, it, it's been great, actually. We moved here about almost seven years ago from uh, 
from Southern California, and we're right on a lake called Lake Norman in Mooresville, which is about 30 miles north of downtown Charlotte. We've got a lot of good golfers that are here, a lot of good young golfers that are here. Um, so, you know, I've been kind of mentoring some of these young guys a little bit um, as, as I'm, I'm the older guy, but it's fun to hang around. It makes me feel young. You know, I still feel like I'm 30 years old, even though I'm 58. Um, but we've got uh, Matt Ryan, great player. Um, he's trying to make it. Pat Cover, Trace Crow, Danny Guys, um, Kyle Reifers lived right down the street, Eric Flores. Um, so we got a good group of young guys that are all trying to play, and I'll have them out here to Trump National Charlotte, and we'll practice for a couple hours, go play, uh, go in and, and have a couple beers and tell some stories. And they're all, you know, they're all interested about my stories and how I got there and the things that I'm doing and why was I successful, those type of things. But even for me, I'm learning because I'm relearning when I'm talking to them or telling the things that I did. I might go, oh, maybe I haven't been doing that lately. And so it's been a lot of fun for me. It makes me feel young again. And uh, I'm really rooting for those guys because those guys, have, they're playing good. And it's fun to follow them on the Corn Ferry and uh, Latin America and the Canadian Tour and Challenge Tour over in Europe. So uh, I just remember starting out, you know, playing the Hooters Tour, um, trying to play in Asia and all those things. And some of those times were some of the most fun times that, in my life is all these guys, young guys with the same goal, trying to make it on the PGA tour, uh, driving around together, you know, sleeping three or four in a room because you're trying to save money, getting private housing. Um, when I look back on them, those are really fun memories. So uh, I want to make sure those guys appreciate these times. Well, it's interesting. You bring up that point. Like when you don't know for sure if you're going to make it or not, when you have that driver, like, Hey, you know, I'm giving my best shot, but there, there's nothing guaranteed. It's not a, it's an unforgivable, unforgiving game what is that thrill or i should not say thrill but just what is that drive like how do you manage that well the drive you know one of the things i try to uh instill in some of these young guys is the reason i feel like i made it and the reason i feel like some guys make it some guys don't when i was going through it there was an unwavering belief that this is what i was going to do for a living no one's going to stop me no one's going to tell me i couldn't do it um, I was going to do it and I wasn't going to take no for an answer. And, you know, granted, there was a lot of bumps in the road along the way, but perseverance is one of the things and one of my favorite words that you've got to keep pushing forward. And some of these guys go, well, I'm just going to give myself three or four years to make it. No, no, this is what you want to do. You're going to give it as long as it takes. Um, and so perseverance is huge and you got to have an unwavering belief that this is what you're going to do for a living, that you're going to be a tour winner. and you know, again, it's not easy, man. And it's a lot, there's a lot more players out there, a lot more really good players out there um, than when I was coming out, you know, and these kids can flat out play and a lot of them and they're ready to win on tour. I mean, all these guys that I'm playing with, all of them can play in the PGA tour right now. They just got to get that opportunity. So again, unwavering belief. Right. Well, and also too, learning from these guys as you talk about learning from the younger guys but there were a lot of older guys you learned from and you mentioned a big brother character in the past uh, which was peter jacobson i mean just a guy that took you under his wing give us a story or two about about what he meant to your career early on or or even in the middle of the career well i still talk to peter all the time I and mean, we still stay <laughs> i've got um some type of golf question or corporate question or tv type announcing question i i still talk to peter all the time peter is like a big brother to me. Um, he actually walked my wife down the aisle uh, when we got married. Um, you know, so Peter's a big part of our life and has been for a long time, but he took me under his wing. You know, when I first got on tour, 
and we started playing the AT&T together. And uh, that's when Peter was playing with Jack Lemon and I was playing with Huey Lewis. He invited oh, me into man. that group. to be able to play with <laughs> Lemon and Huey Lewis and Peter Jacobson. You know, I didn't care what I shot at the time. I just wanted to have fun with these guys and the experiences were just incredible. Um, and then when Jack passed, Peter took Huey and I got to bring my buddy Chris O'Donnell out there. So the four of us played for four or five years together. So the stories that Peter would tell, everything was just so fun. And then Peter was running these events like the Fred Meyer Challenge. Um, and he was running, he was helping run the Shark Shootout for Greg Norman. He was helping run the CBS Charity Classic for Billy Andre and Brad Faxon. And Peter, I, you know, had taught me so much about how to do a pro-am, how to do corporate outings, how to give speeches. Um, and, and he was great because he invited me. And I got invited to all those, all those years. And I, I played like, 11 shark shootouts and seven Fred Meyer challenges and six CBS cherry classics. And those were kind of like, you know, the silly season or the, you know, the off money things, but they were big. I mean, we got paid very well. They were a lot of fun. I made a lot of great connections and it wouldn't have happened without Peter Jacobson. So uh, I owe a lot to Peter. Yeah. And you mentioned the shark shootout. You, you won when he played for the first time in 97, right? With Bruce Liskey. I did. I did. I, I, Greg called me up to invite me to play, and uh, he gave me a couple choices of guys to play with, Chip Beck, Bruce Litsky, and I said, I want to play with Lit Leakey. I mean, that, he was one of my heroes growing up. I mean, the guy never practiced when I came out on tour, and he would show up and hit the same shot all the time, the still cut, and I was kind of a cutter, and we both used the long putter at the time. I said, I want to play with Leakey, and I didn't know Bruce that well, and, and we kind of introduced ourselves going up to the first tee, and you know, I'm a little nervous, kind of a rookie playing the shark shoot the first time. And I said, Bruce, you know, we're going to play alternate shot. I mean, we're going to play scramble and best ball. And what, what, what are we, should we do? What's, you know, what, how, what kind of a format, what are we going to do today? And he goes, I'll tell you what, kid, you just play your ball. I'll play my ball. And we'll be just fine. <laughs> and I mean, uh, he, he made it easy for me. He made it relaxing. And, and I went out and played, I played really well and he played great too. And uh, we won that shark shootout my first year playing in 19, 1996. Um, and then I was fortunate to, I ended up finishing second the next year with Bruce and then Brad Faxon and I, who, you know, one of my best friends on the PGA tour and in life got, got to play and we won, uh, two in a row. And then the third one, we lost in a playoff. So Brad and I had some great times playing and playing with Faxon. It was awesome. I'll never forget first time I played with Faxon, like the second hole is ultimate shot. I'm like, where do you want it? You want to blow the hole above the hole, left to right breaker. And he goes, just get it on the green. He goes, that I don't care. And I'm over the shot going, oh, I just got to get it on the green. I kind of fatted it about a foot short, and he made the 50-footer. So I didn't even have to get it on the green with Fax. You know, he, he was such a great putter. Yeah, well, I, I love you brought up Brad Faxon because you guys worked together in a lot of capacities, obviously, on the tour. But you play, uh, you were working together at Fox uh, when you were doing U.S. Open stuff. What is this guy like for fans at home that don't get to spend a lot of time with him? What is he like inside the ropes just as, as a buddy, like you said, one of your best friends? He, he is a great storyteller. He's very, very funny. Um, he's very inquisitive, always asking questions. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? Um, very knowledgeable because he's always asking questions. You know, he's a student of the game. Um, he's a student of announcing. He's a phenomenal announcer. We had great times um, announcing together and going to dinners and just talking and having fun. Um, he, he's, just, he's just a great guy, phenomenal putter. And one of the things that helped me out a lot when I was on tour is Fax and I would have short game contests or putting contests. I mean, if you're going to get good, you got to try to go up against the best. 
Why not? And so we would, have, we would have contests all the time. Everything that we did was kind of competition. And that made me a lot better. Um, and I'll never forget one time I walked on the putting green at Houston and Faxon's standing in the middle of the putting green and he's just whacking balls all around the putting green. I mean, like just whacking them here, whack here, turn around, whack there. I'm like, what the hell are you doing? He goes, I'm practicing not caring because if you can get up there and putt and not care if it goes in or not, you're going to make a better stroke than if you're truly trying to make it and truly caring. So practice not caring. I thought that was really interesting. Um, but he's great. He's a great follow on Instagram, on Twitter, and uh, we still keep in touch all the time. Yeah, well, he's a good one. But also, I think, well, you've been really good about seeking out advice from veterans, right? Whether that's Hale Irwin in the past or whether that's Peter Jacobson. Um, what was the conversation you had with Hale? Was it as a rookie, right? You you were thinking this guy's the all time winningest guy. Let me take him to dinner. Like, what? Tell us that story. Yeah. So, um, you know, I only won three times on the PGA tour. I felt like I should have won more. I lost a couple of playoffs, but again, I was playing in the tiger era, the Phil Mickelson era and BJ Singh era where they, you know, they <laughs> guys were winning five, six, seven, you know, every year. And it was hard to win, to be honest, um, hard to get yourself in position and even harder to beat those guys when they were playing well. Um, I, the champion store, when I turned 50, I started getting myself in position, but wasn't, uh, taking it to the finish line. Wasn't winning tournaments yet. So I called Hale. And, you know, I figured, you know, he's won 45 times in the championship. Sure. Yeah. He knows a little bit about winning and, and uh, took him to dinner and had a really nice conversation. And one of the things he told me was find out what type of player you are and be that player. Don't try to be someone that you're not. And the other one thing was um, play. You just got to play average. You don't have to elevate your game. I always felt like playing in the Tiger era and mixing era, I had to play my absolute best to win a tournament. And those guys had to play just okay. He, you know, he, he's like, no. And so I always had try, tried to hit a heroic shot at times or tried to go for flags I didn't need to. And Hale's like, no, hit it in the fairway. Hit it on the green. You're going to make some putts. Get yourself in position and just keep doing that. Just keep playing average. That's what you do best is being average. You don't have to elevate your game to some other level, but you don't want to play worse. So just play average. Hit it in the fairway. Hit it on the green. Have an opportunity. Give yourself opportunities, and you're going to win some. And then some guys are going to beat you at other times, and some guys are going to lose to you because they didn't handle it well. And I thought that helped me a lot when I got in position. I stopped trying to hit the heroic shot, and I started just hitting it in the middle of the green. You know, playing to the safe side, um, hitting it from spot A to B, and uh, got my got in position quite a bit of times, and I was able to win 11 times uh, so far in the Champions Tour. It's been a good run. Yeah, so far it has. And and another guy, speaking of the Champions Tour, PGA Tour Champions, you had some advice you got after a pro-am when you had dinner with Jack Nicholas there at his place about the champ, PGA Tour Champions, right? And, and the importance of playing on that. What was what was that conversation like? That, that was great. Yeah, Jack and Barbara do a phenomenal uh, pro-am at Lost Tree, their home course, and they do a dinner at their house after. Um, I had just won um, the Allianz Classic at Broken Sound, where we're going next week. Timberdown, and so yeah. we yeah, so we're it's Timber Tech now. So uh, we were having dinner with Jack and Barbara, and uh, I just won. And Jack took me aside and said, uh, "I just want you to know, I have one regret." I said, "Okay, what was that?" He says, "I wish I would have played played more on the Champions Tour, because once it's over, it's over." He goes, "Play as much as you can. Don't make the mistake I did." I thought that was interesting, coming from the greatest player that's ever lived that he wishes and he, you know, realizes how important that was the friendships and the times because 
we're all golfers. We want to play. We want to compete. But once you hang it up, once it's over, man, it's over. You, it's hard to replace that with something else. So, you know, I've tried to play just about as much as I can. Um, I spent quite a few years, you know, three or four years playing almost every event. Um, I've taken a couple off here and there, uh, two off this year. But, um, you know, I'm trying to play as much as I can, and I'm trying to have fun and enjoy it. I get to spend time with my buddies, Glenn Day and Brant Job and Ken Tanagawa and Seth Sloman I mean, and Billy Andred. It's just it's a great time out in the Champions Tour. We're all rooting for each other. Um, when guys go have a chance to win, everybody, a lot of guys stick around to, to high five them and have a beer with them after. Well, that didn't really happen much on the PGA Tour, you know. So we're all rooting for each other. There's enough money to go around. We've all known each other for 30 years, and it really is. It's it's like family. Yeah, no, that's true. I, just cheering for each other. As we saw in 2019, remember all the guys that were with you there in November yeah, uh, for yeah. that big day at Phoenix Country Club, waiting it out with you. L- let's get to that, actually, as we're in playoff season. So it's 2019. Paint the picture first. You finish your round, final round. You, you end up time for 27th, but it's an hour and a half before – anything actually gets settled. So, so what'd you do? I, I know you went to the parking lot. It was very stressful, right? So like, how did you manage the stress? What was that all like? Yeah. so, it, it, you know, it was stressful. The last couple of, I played great um, all year long. I think I've won three or four times that year. Um, and the week before with about nine holes to play, I kind of got in contention. Well, I was in about seventh, eighth, ninth, 10th place. And all I got to do, if I play well, the last two events, nobody's going to catch me. Um, and I played poorly the last nine holes because I started thinking about it. I mean, it started getting my mind, you know, winning the Schwab Cup. A lot of guys that had won the Schwab Cup before, um, Langer and Lehman, were telling me how hard it is. And I'm like, this ain't hard. I mean, it's easy. I'm just playing. It's great. And then all of a sudden, it got hard. I mean, really hard. I played terrible the last nine holes. I think I shot 41 or two. Went from like fourth or fifth to like 20th or whatever in L.A., and then I came to Phoenix and I was not in a good frame of mind. I was hanging on. I was not playing uh, freewheeling like I'd been all year. And so there were a couple guys that had chances to win the Schwab Cup if they won the tournament only. Um, Retief Goosen and Bernard Longer, if they'd won the tournament, they could have won the Schwab Cup. And sure enough, those two guys played great that week. You know, I'm like, oh, great. You know, I just need them to play bad, <laughs> but right. that's not going to happen. You know, so uh, I, I finished early um, thinking that in Langer, I think he had a hole in one that day on like eight and shot like 29 in the front or something. I mean, it was just crazy. Everything that could go wrong for me was going wrong. And uh, so it was very stressful. Um, and it came down to Retief Goosen uh, had a putt in the last hole. And I had the exact same putt earlier in, in the round. And as he's lining up, I'm like, he's going to miss it left. I mean, I, this thing doesn't break right. And he did from about three feet. I mean, it wasn't that double putt, but it just was a weird putt. And when he did that, I'm like, okay, maybe I got a chance. And I needed Maggart to birdie the last hole of time. And Mag, Mags hit it left kind of off the grandstands. And he had this really tough chip from about 35 yards over the bunker. And he had a great shot to about two feet to, to tie Goose to go into a playoff. You know, they play 18. Now, at this point, I'm thinking, well, I'm, I'm going to lose the Schwab Cup. And I'd lost the Schwab Cup the year before on the last day when BJ Singh won. Um, I had a chance to win the tournament. If I win the tournament, I would have won the Schwab Cup. So I'm like, I'm going to be the only guy to lose the Schwab Cup with nine holes to go two years in a row. Hmm. And uh, and I really wanted to win it. So Maggard, again, got up and down on 18 the first hole. 
I would went to the parking lot for a little bit because, you know, the camera's on me. Um, everybody's, you know, kind of saying, hey, it's going to be okay. And it was stressful. And I'm sitting in the parking lot. I'm thinking, you know what? I, I got to go back up there and take this like a man. I'm probably going to lose, um, but I'm going to have to congratulate Retief Goose and win the Schwab Cup. And, you know, that's the way it goes. And so as I came back up, uh, right then I heard this roar out on the uh, 17th hole. And then the TV pan, they're about a 15-second delay. And then they're showing Jeff Maggard getting ready to hit. And I knew it. I'm like, oh, my God, he hold it. And sure enough, on TV, he hold it. And everyone went just bonkers. And that was really cool experience to have all these guys, Miguel, Langer, Jerry Kelly. I mean, all these guys I look up to that are all my friends, um, Petrovic, all sitting around there having a glass of wine and, and hugging me and high five. And it was a party. I mean, it just and it, and ended up being, I ended up staying the night at Jerry Kelly's and ended up being about a 12 hour, just big old bash party, which happens a lot when Jerry and I get together. So it was neat to see <laughs> those guys rooting for you like that. And, and I got to tell you, Gary, even last week, I haven't been in contention a long time. I have not played well over the last year and a half, two years after my surgery. Um, and last week um, I had a chance. I mean, I had a chance to, to win. I finished fourth. And it's been a struggle yeah. for me to be honest over the last two years. And when I got into the locker room in the player dining, um, most of the guys stay there anyways because nobody's going anywhere after that. Um, guys gave me – they started clapping and cheering for me because they know how much it meant to me to kind of get my contention again and, and to play well. And that's just the, the camaraderie and the family out on the Champions Tour. There, there's nothing like it. I mean, even when you have a guy that's been down for so long, and he comes out and plays well. We're rooting for him. We want these guys to play well. You mentioned Jerry Kelly, a good buddy of yours. He handed the phone to you during an interview with John Cook that had your dad saying congratulations yeah. there. Barry, your dad. How cool was that? How do you describe that? It was really cool. You know, my dad was there and then left on Sunday morning. Come on, he, likes, he was getting so nervous. <laughs> and he wasn't, I wasn't playing well. And he left. And uh, I, I told him, I said, man, you shouldn't have left. We're having a good time down here, but it was special to have him there. He'd come down for the last couple um, Schwab Cups and and would hang out with me and have a great time. And uh, I miss him. He passed away about a year and a half ago, um, and and I miss him every day because he's the guy that uh, one of the guys I would talk to almost after every round. You know, he'd call me and we'd kind of go over the round. Um, him, another guy named Dr. Glenn Alba, who I also lost uh, last year. Your mentor, so, yeah. Yeah, my mentor. I'm a sports psychologist and, uh, from University Pacific, and he was the golf coach and just a great guy. So those two guys, I miss a lot, miss them every day. But uh, it was nice having my dad there, and, and to win the Schwab Cup was really cool. Yeah. Well, you mentioned a celebration, a lot of fun celebrations with the guys there celebrating the Charles Schwab Cup. I think about, hey, <clears throat> celebrating a Claret Jug. You used to go to Ireland with you know, David Duvall would be out there. You got Tiger Woods. You'd have Mark O'Mara. Sometimes John Cook, your guy there. And you guys drank out of the Claret Jug that one year. Must have been 02 when he was defending champ for Duvall. So what, what were those yeah, stories like? It was. That was my first time. Mark O'Mara, again, was like Peter Jacobson and still is to me. I mean, Mark is also like my big brother and kind of took me under his wing as well and, and would invite me to Ireland with he and Tiger and David and John Cook. And so that was the first year. And, uh, we had, we had, it was my birthday, July 10th. We had a great dinner. We had, we had played Royal Port Marnock. We're flying around in helicopters. I'm with the king, God, Tiger Woods. You know, it was just so cool and surreal. And then, uh, 
kind of winding down the evening and I was having a couple drinks with the uh, Tigers kind of security guards that they had for him that week. And uh, all of a sudden in walks David Duvall had just flown in and he goes, Hey, I'll be right back. And uh, he came back with this case, you know, this huge case. And it was the cleric jug. And so an evening that was going to end around nine um, ended around three. <laughs> I think we drank and Tiger came back and we drank everything out of it. And then we had, we had to fly and we went and played Mount Juliet the next day. And, and uh, we were so hungover, Tiger wouldn't play on us. We had golf carts, which they didn't have any golf carts there. They had to bring a couple in. So uh, it, it was just so much fun uh, fly fishing and golfing and working out and, and learning from Tiger and, and Mark and David. We had such great times back in those days. And, you know, you, back then you don't realize, you know, they're going to end. I mean, how special they were to be able to do that. You just think, oh, this is normal. Well, it's not normal. It's not normal to hang out with Tiger Woods, fly around in helicopters and fly fish with Mark O'Meara and drink pints of Guinness. I mean, that was, you know, in Iron pretty cool. Well, speaking of fishing, though, you mentioned that a second ago as part of this whole trip. Who were the best fishermen out of that group? I mean, like, oh, Mark, between you guys. Mark O'Meara's. Mark O'Meara is hands down the best fly fisherman. Um, I have to admit, Tiger turned himself into a really good fly fisherman as well. Um, he enjoyed it. He went up to Alaska a couple of times with Mark, and then Mark took me up to Alaska, John Cook and I, J.P. Hayes. Um, but Tiger turned into a pretty good fly fisherman. But Mark, Mark is by far the best. He loved, He plays golf only to make enough money to buy more fly rods, I think. Um, Phil Blackmore is also a great fly fisherman. But hands down, uh, and Paul Azinger also was a good fly fisherman. But Mark O'Meara, I think, is is the guy that loves it the most. You also would have played a lot of golf with Tiger on, on tour in, in a lot of those rounds. And I'm curious, like, are there a couple shots that come to your mind? I know he, he used to hit some amazing shots back in that time, late 90s. But are there a couple shots that come to your mind that are like, wow, like, I, I'll i never forget that shot? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I, I did play quite a bit with Tiger. And, and one of the interesting rounds I played was at uh, TPC Scottsdale, the Phoenix Open the day after he made that hole in one, I was paired with him on Sunday. Uh, and I was, I was, it was funny cause I was wearing a, a golf clothing company called with E McGrath. It was the Byron Nelson collection. And one of their outfits, um, which I wore at the masters a few times was, um, a shirt tie and a button down, you know, and a vest and the whole bit. And so E McGrath, uh, they wanted me to wear that that day. Cause I knew I was going to be on TV. I'm thinking Tiger Woods. I'm like, oh, man, I don't really want to do that. And sure enough, I, I did, and I showed up in the first tee, and Tiger just laid into me nonstop all day long, calling me the waiter, go get me drinks. I mean, it was <laughs> hilarious, which I deserved it. But watching him hit some shots, I remember on the second hole, he kind of hit it in the desert in the right, and I was standing about 15, 20 feet from him when he hit the shot out of the desert that hooked about 40 yards, that went sky high in the air, and stopped dead on the green, these super hard greens. And I was like, I was like, how did he do that? And I was like, oh my God, I can't do that. And, and to be honest, the rest of the round, I stopped watching him, Garrett. I mean, I couldn't do what this guy was doing. And so I listened to the sound, but I stopped watching because, I, you know, it made me feel about this big watching him hit shots like, like that. And for the rest of the time, I didn't watch him hit a lot of shots because I didn't want, want to be deflated. Now we played a lot of golf together and I heard a lot of the shots and I heard all the crowds, but I didn't want to watch it too much uh, because I just couldn't do it. And it couldn't do what he did. And I got to play with him uh, in Mount Juliet. We got to come back five months later after we had our, 
uh, a great outing at Mount Julia with the golf carts. And Tiger and I went head to head. We played in the final group together. And I think yeah. it was one of the only, only times, you know, um, everyone there in Ireland, me being a McCarran and Irish, they were kind of rooting for me. So I, it was kind of my hometown crowd rooting for me. And uh, it, was, it was really cool and, and surreal. And Tiger went the whole week without a bogey till the last hole. Um, a camera guy clicked a pick shot right on his backswing on 18. He pulled it in the bunker and made bogey. So when uh, when we got in our sign of cards, it was just me and Tiger and the scorekeeper. <laughs> I called him a choking rat because he couldn't go all week with <laughs> a bogey. But, you know, we, we go to celebrate. I'll never forget this. We go to celebrate after, and we're all in the bar, John Daly and a bunch of us, Chris DeMarco, and we're all drinking because we got to catch this flight. And Tiger walks by after doing media. I think I'd finish four. And everyone's like, come on, Tiger, come join us. And he goes, no, I'm going to work out. And literally everybody's jaws dropped. And we're like, how are we going to beat this guy? We, we can't beat this guy. He's just won a tournament, only went one bogey, and now he's going to work out. I mean, the guy was – he was so impressive – uh, to watch, so impressive to learn from. Um, and I can't wait another two years till uh, he's going to come out and play play with us. Can't wait. Yeah. I was going to say, is there a lot of talk about that? A lot of excitement Absolutely. looking forward to that? Yeah, we're, you know, he's, he, he talked to Noda after Noda played his first event. He called him, what do you think? What do you think? He told me a couple years ago that he was going to come play. Um, he's told a lot of guys that he he's, would like to play. And, and one of the big factors, I think, you know, the Champions Tour, they're always talking about the PGA Tour is trying to lower the Champions Tour to age to 45 because that 45 to 50 is the no man's land. And it's just getting harder and harder. And so every year, the PGA Tour players on the board always want to try to lower that number to 45 so they can play for five years earlier. You know, where we all had to wait till 50. And so they came to Tiger and they said, what do you think? What do you think of this idea? Lower to 45. And Tiger says, no, because all the records started at 50. So that right there, if he said that, then at least he's entertaining the idea of possibly playing. Um, he wouldn't want it lowered because that would change all the records. Um, so I hope he plays. We're, we're playing around with some of our cart rolls right now um, that will hopefully entice him because I know he won't do ADA. He doesn't want to do that. Um, and so we're trying to change the cart rolls so a player um, in the bag or the caddy in the bag can be on the cart. That might help Tiger a little bit because – he can, he's going to be able to play. It's just whether he can walk, you know, full 18, three days in a row. And uh, I, I hope he plays. We all want him to play. I think, we again, we're all golfers. We all played. Nicholas played. You know, everybody played. Right. Except for Greg Norman's about the only one that didn't play because he had other things going on. He had all these businesses. Uh, and Greg didn't really want to put the time in to be the best like he did when he was on tour. But everyone else played. I mean, Trevino, Chi-Chi. I mean, so let's hope – I hope Tiger plays because it would be great for our tour. It would be great for Tiger, and it would be great for T Charlie to see Tiger, you know, playing out there. And he's going to be playing against the same guys he played against uh, all those years on the PGA Tour. And we're all his buddies, and we all love him. And we just like to have him come out and hang out and, and play some golf and tell some stories. Why not? Why not? Uh, well, speaking of your tour, I, I know you've got a couple of really good finishes at Phoenix Country Club that's coming up in a couple of weeks. Um, what is it about that course? What's a good test about that course? Well, you got to have a really good wedge game. Um, unfortunately, that golf course takes driver out of my hands a little bit. It's kind of a tight golf course. It's short. Um, I can get to the, a lot of the par fives. That's where I have advantages. I can get to a lot of par fives and I can drive almost two, par, two of the par fours. 
Um, but you've got to have you've got to have a really good wedge game around there. You got to be able to work the ball left to right, right to left, um, and the greens are you know tough tough to hit because they're smaller. It's just a smaller type golf course. Um, I have had some good finishes there. Um, I, I would like to be at a bigger golf course. I want to be able to bomb it. I want this to be as long as possible. I'm like, since I'm like third on tour in distance and I tear up the par fives, I want it to be as long as possible. But having said that, I've played well there at Phoenix and I'm uh, hoping to get a chance, another chance this year. I'm 38th on our Schwab Cup. I got to move up two spots, 30, top 36 go. So I got my work cut out for me uh, this next week at the Timber Tech at Broken Sound. Definitely. Hey, and in the last minute of the podcast here, I just want to describe describe for our listeners what it feels like to have the lead at Augusta. You had it uh, in 1999 <laughs> on Saturday. What, what, what does that feel like? Yeah, I didn't have it very long, Garrett, but I did yeah. have it. Um, yeah, I was playing 99 with uh, Jose Maria on the, in a final group on Saturday. I birdied 11 to take the lead at Augusta. Um, st- huge standing ovation, you know, when I'm walking up to the 12th tee. Uh, hair standing up on my arms, uh, but I was ready to go at that point. The problem was Greg Norman had hit it long over the green, um, and they were looking for his ball, and then he had to come back to the tee, and then he hit it an eight iron that came up short in the bunker, um, and then he got it up and down for double, I think. So I stood on that tee for like 20 to 25 minutes with the lead, with the wind swirling. Man, and I, you know, I just – I, I freaked out when I, when I saw Greg hit eight iron and short in the bunker, I felt I had to clobber an eight iron to get it there. And I hit it over the green again. I had to take an unplayable, come back to the tee, hit in the bunker and made triple. So I went from leading to uh, being devastated. And I, I wish that I would have handled it better. I certainly would have handled it better later in my career. Cause at that point now I'm just, I'm trying to make it up that triple real quick instead of just keep playing the way I was doing and to give myself a chance. I think I hit it in the water on 13 left. Uh, you know, I ended up shooting 76 that day with a couple of bogeys coming in. So I didn't handle this situation as well as I certainly would have later on in my years. Really good story there about the Masters. Obviously, it's a lot of fans would, would love to know more about what that feels like. And and it obviously was it was a big moment for you. And then lastly, Timber Tech coming up. I know it's a course broken sound coming up. I mean, what, what is that challenge like uh, as you get into, you know, a big part of the series here? Well, it's a it's a golf course that uh, I enjoy. I loved it, uh, but they went and changed it all. So I, this will be the first time that I've seen the new redo. Um, but Broken Sound was a great golf course before. I'm sure it's going to be better now. So I'm looking forward to it. I got my playoff beard going. Started it last week. Uh, so uh, it's it's not coming off until the playoffs are over. It's going to be very gray at some point, probably probably gray already. But uh, I'm looking forward to Broken Sound. It's a great golf course. Uh, Boca's a lot of fun. I'm going to play a women's pro-am uh, on Monday for them at 1 o'clock. I'll play uh, my Tuesday at 10 group, Ken Tanagawa and Glenn Day. Brant nice. Job's not there because he's on a medical, um, but cool. he'll be back here, my college roommate. Right. And then uh, we'll play. I'll play two pro-ams uh, Wednesday and Thursday and then start the tournament Friday. So it's going to be a busy week, but it's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, looking forward to having a good, a good week. Great stuff, Scott. Thanks again for the time, and uh, we'll catch up down the road. Thanks, Garrett. All right, my thanks to Scott McCarron for jumping on the podcast. Hope you guys 
enjoy the listen there. I love the stories about Tiger Woods. I love the enthusiasm about the possibility of Tiger going on the PGA Tour champions in a couple years. Will it happen? He's pretty excited about it. I love what he said that Noda Begay heard from Tiger on that very day when he made his debut. And just like so much enthusiasm. It sounds like Tiger is fired up for a lot of his buddies on this tour. Will he make the jump? We'll see what ends up happening there. So hope you enjoyed it. A lot of good stories, as I mentioned. Stories for Scott McCarron with Jack Nicholas, with Tiger Woods, with you name it. Hale Irwin. Uh, a lot of good ones from his time on the PGA Tour over the years so we'll catch up soon here on beyond the clubhouse